You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. We are, for operational reasons, recording this podcast on the day of the Queen's funeral. A sad, sad day for the nation, but an event that has brought many people closer together. And as we said at the end of last week's podcast, God save the King. So, welcome to episode 70 of the Null and Void Sports Podcast. As ever, we've got some great sports stories, and our guest tonight is from the world of tennis, and it brings us his reflections on the retirement of two of the world's greatest ever players. My name is Tony Grundy. And mine's Andy Callahan. How did you spend your weekend, mate? It's certainly not walking like last weekend. It was a nice, relaxing one, having spent most of last weekend eating energy gels and energy drinks and things like that. It was from the sublime to the ridiculous. So this weekend, uh, out for my mum's early birthday, she's away in Italy for her actual birthday next weekend. But uh, yeah, my brother and I took her out for a lovely meal in Reading. Um, uh, Great. So from energy gels last week, this week it was a venison with haggis. So uh, a big difference. Of course. Of course it was. Yeah, I I spent some time quite differently to you struggling to put in place a new gatepost uh, with the assistance of my good wife by the way um, and a trolley that was we couldn't possibly have done it without it's no big deal when you say oh we're putting a gatepost in but those things are really really heavy I did say to Sue before we kind of maneuvered it off the trolley if this falls let it fall run you know know, because the temptation is to say whoa and I know from having got it from the fence place out of my car on my own last week, um, it's really heavy and, you know, it would take you out without any, any doubt at all. So we managed that and we also picked some more of our lovely apples. So more stewed apples coming for this winter and next year. And it's a magnificent crop. You would have thought with the early frost and the dryness of the last few months that you struggle, but it's probably the best crop we've ever had. So, All right. uh, so the go. conditions obviously must be right for uh, apples with that conditions. I, I don't know whether they suit everything, but these are cooking apples and, it, you know, they really were top class and still are. We got loads that we're not even being able to get close to. So Sue's taking them up to work and God knows what else. But so uh, if, if anyone's in the area and wants some apples, then... Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and watch and watch watch the gatepost as you come in. <laughs> <laughs> when you said you'd spent the weekend fencing, Tony, with us being a uh, sports podcast, I thought you meant something else, not putting a new. Game. No, I, did, I, I didn't mean that. Yeah, I know it is a sports ca- podcast, so let's get back to that, shall we? <laughs> Premier League, Premier League. Um, obviously, there were fewer games because some of them were postponed because police were needed in London and so on. Um, but of those fewer games, Arsenal march on uh, and they, they pushed Brentford aside. And that's not an easy thing to, to actually do. They didn't score Brentford and they didn't look as if they'd score, even if Arsenal went off the pitch. You know, they were so dominant. So I'm, I'm quite impressed with the way they're keeping going, Arsenal. And, and they're going to cause a lot of people problems. They've got some big games coming up. They haven't played too many of the top six yet. Mm. But, but then they uh, they, they also uh, fielded the youngest ever Premier League player. The last couple of minutes, um, Arteta threw on 
Uh, Wanyeri is how it's pronounced. Uh, the N at the start of his surname is apparently silent. So Ethan Wanyeri, yeah, 15 years and 181 days. So, uh, yeah. you know, good luck to him. all that. Good man. Now, Tottenham, I put down here Tottenham schizophrenic. A game of two halves, yeah, it is. The first half against Leicester. Leicester really outplayed Spurs and it was two all at half time. You think that's actually a fair result. So at times, Tottenham, for all of the fact they've, they've done very, very well to start this season, they look really bad, and particularly at the back and running through midfield. The changes they made were interesting because Ricarlison came off uh, and Son came on. And he made a big difference. Was, I mean, not just the goals he scored. No, but he was magnificent. And they joined things up from midfield when all of a sudden Kane started playing. And I said, I think a couple of weeks ago, I think one of the problems for Spurs, strangely enough, is signing Ricarlison. I actually think that Son, not he hasn't been playing well, so OK, he wasn't in the team. But he's a magnificent player. And I think if having Ricarlison means you don't play Son, you've got a problem. And he came on and he scored a hat-trick in 13 minutes. And I watched every one of their goals and they were absolutely stunning. Mm. But Ricarlison was obviously not happy to be taken off. So I think they've got an ongoing problem there. That's just a personal thing. And I also think, and I've said it before, they're a bit wobbly at the back. They're not as strong as they should be. They concede goals. See, I said right at the start of the season, I fancy them for second place behind City. So I, I think that Conte will will work it through. I think, you know, he's said that they're not, they need probably another couple of transfer windows to really be ready to compete for the title. But I, I like yeah. them. And as you say, I, I think at four, t- I watched the game. Very rarely I watch a full Premier League game, but I watched that one. I think at four, two, you just saw the fight go out of Leicester. But I think at, at, even at three, two down, they were, they were fighting to get back in at four, two, you know, if they got another goal, they were back in it, but I think the 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 fight just went out of them. I think you know recent well, games and defeats and the form they're in. They're a different case, uh, Leicester, and and not in a good way. Uh, and interestingly, um, you know, Brendan Rodgers is definitely earmarked as the next one to be uh, fired. David Moyes, I read today that he launched into a reporter that said called him Moisey. So I think is a little bit tense at the moment. And Moisey, I could say get a grip, but anyway. Um, yeah, and Cooper at Forest is obviously under some pressure as well. I believe the very large, let's say, Greek owner of Forest has just fired the uh, Greek manager of the Greek club that he also owns. So watch out, Cooper, I would suggest. So we'll... We'll Although see. an article I was reading today is saying, is Cooper one of the ones that could be earmarked as to, you know, the next successor for Gareth Southgate? Um, you know, with, uh, step by step. I think that's just getting a little bit too <clears throat> giddy. A little with, bit with, too giddy. With Chelsea having signed um, the Brighton manager on a long contract and potentially takes him out of the running, he was being earmarked as the, the next... England manager after Southgate, you know, whether that was after the World Cup or when Southgate's contract finishes in 2024. Um, so, yeah, it's, a, it's now a case of who is it? And the FA's succession plan seemed to have been sort of ripped up into tatters. There's 
<laughs> yeah, but I, I think that's probably leaping ahead a bit. Talking about leaping ahead, when are Newcastle going to do that? Well, we're in a better position than we were this time last year. Is that's um, You know, never let a Newcastle player take your dog for a walk because they can't hold on to a lead. Um, the old ones are the best ones. I think Littlewood's pools must dread Newcastle's results coming in because they're pretty good for a score drawer every week. Overall, only one defeat this season against Liverpool, but then again, only one win on the opening day against Forest, and the rest have been draws. So, yeah, you know, I think we've played some of the, the sides near the top of the table as well. You know, Liverpool, City. Yeah. There's there's games coming up that should be winnable, but then again, I thought this weekend was winnable. I saw some pundits saying it would be 4-0 to Newcastle. I never thought that was going to be the case. <laughs> I really thought Bournemouth was a game that Eddie would be marking as one that they'd want to win, and not just because it was his former club. So, yeah, <laughs> and we're in a better the, position than we were, but need to start, yeah. if, if we're harbouring hopes of challenging for Europa League or Europa Conference or Europa Egg Cup, um, places next season then need to start picking up a few points along the way and of course just when you don't need it we've got an international break for Nations Cup I repeat again Nations Cup for anybody who doesn't know what that is I'm not about to explain except to say we're home to Italy and away to Germany neither of those particularly easy games so stand by the women's uh, WSL openers um that was interesting um, because it was headlined by Chelsea, the champions, losing to Liverpool. A bit unexpected. Mm-hmm. Emma Hayes, I think, said we couldn't have uh, hit a barn door. You know, uh, so I take it they missed quite a few chances. <laughs> City losing to Villa 4-3. That was a cracking first. game. That was a yeah. really good game. And Arsenal and United both winning 4-0. So... Obviously, very early days in WSL, but the attendances were way above last season. So very encouraging signs for the women's game. I think that's really good. Yeah, hopefully it's a, a flow through, a permanent flow through from the uh, the success of the Euros and the Lionesses this summer that people have started to say, actually, we want to we go and see some of these players in action. And yeah. hopefully not too many more of them head off to Barcelona. Um, before people start to really get hooked in. and That, that, that is an issue because already quite a few of the uh, Lionesses have actually gone, haven't they, uh, elsewhere. Rugby League I got next. Uh, St Helens Leeds will be the final now, yeah? Yeah, um, Leeds had a great win um, over um, uh, Wigan, which is, you know, um, sort of a big rivalry that stemmed back years and when you think when, you know, when we were talking back in, was it March, April, you know, early on in the Super League season, when Leeds had fired their coach and were fighting down near the bottom of the table, have they timed their run just right? I mean, one of the, the advantages of a playoff system is that if a team gets onto a bit of a run, it yeah. can carry them goodness knows where. I mean, yeah. I, as a Leeds fan, I've said, I said last week I, I didn't fancy them to beat Wigan. So I'm going to say it again. I don't fancy them to be. <laughs> um, and let's hope that that carries through. But uh, And then the Saints-Salford game was an absolute cracker. You know, Saints should have been nailed on for that. But Salford really took the game to them. Yes. Uh, 
they've, they've got one or two injury problems at St Helens. I'm not making excuses, but that was one of the issues at weekend. That was a big blow to them. I got rugby union next, and well, just before we move on from rugby league, Tony, it was also the it, it was the women's oh yeah sorry final mate. this yeah. weekend yeah um, and Leeds won that against York um, twelve four York had actually gone in as the favourites having won the league leaders shield at the end of the regular season in in Group One um, and beaten Leeds both home and away in the regular season but yeah twelve four I watched that yesterday. Um, after a big meal, um, not always the best way to watch a game that it never really came to life. I mean, defence dominated. It was a, a fantastic breakaway try by York to get their, their one and only score. But it was a game that you were watching and sort of thinking, is it really going to spark and are we going to see attack get on top of defence? But that Leeds defence was really well marshaled, really well drilled. And as a result, it, it was a game that... I think one that you would say a game for the purists, <laughs> really one that took off in terms of action and end to end play. Okay. And then on uh, that as well, Warrington won the Shield final, which means they will play in the women's uh, Super League Group One for the first time next season. So, uh, right. for them over Featherstone. So, they, they get promoted as a result of that. So, yeah. So, if Leeds win at the weekend in the, the men's. Ground final, it'll be a Leeds double, but we'll uh, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Okay, I was racing ahead with the rugby union there, and I was going to mention Welsh international player and match and commentator Eddie Butler uh, died suddenly at sixty-five. Uh, some very nice tributes, very nice tributes, even from people you might not have expected, like Ryan Moore. Who's yeah, a bit of a yeah that was a. A really nice article that Brian Moore wrote in his regular piece in the Telegraph, saying how he really enjoyed working with Eddie Butler and a real tribute about what a generous commentator Eddie Butler was. I think, uh, you know, he wasn't everyone's cup of tea. And I think he got a lot of unfair stick when he took over from Bill McLaren, which was, if you like, was it was an un- unfillable shoes. Bill McLaren yes. had been the voice of rugby for 40 years. And very difficult to fill those shoes. But I think one thing that Eddie Butler really did well that everyone was agreed on was the montages, either at you know the BBC at the start or the end of a Six Nations campaign, or the one he did at the end of London 2012, which I think took his sort of voice to a wider public than just the rugby fans. And yeah. a really great one he did as they sort of went along the river and he told the story of the the 15 days of the Olympics. I think that was a a really great piece. So, yeah, you know, he was a, a former British and Irish Lions player, a former Welsh international. He was part of that famous Pontypool pack uh, in the 70s and 80s, not the Pontypool front row, um, but it's playing just behind that as a second row or a back row. So, yeah, you know, um, you know, 65 and, you know, uh, thoughts go out to his family, friends and colleagues. OK, my next note was Red Roses. Wow. Yeah. Um, 25 games winning run, which is a record for any rugby, international rugby team, male or female. They beat Wales 75-7 at Ashton Gate in the week. Um, and it was a it was a commanding performance. I think there were players there who saw this as their last chance to put hands up for World Cup selection. Simon Middleton announces his squad to the press tomorrow. There have been a, a few leaks already because apparently 
announced the squad to the players on Thursday night. So uh, it looks like Mo Hunt, uh, the scrum half, who was part of the winning team in 2014, looks like she may have missed out and he's going with one of the younger, less experienced scrum halves as backup instead. You know, his call, big call, that's what he's paid to do. But uh, yeah, fantastic performance, you know, 25 games in a row. It was a great crowd midweek, you know, school first week back for a lot of schools. And yet they had 11,000 at Ashton Gate in Bristol. So it's, it's encouraging all this, isn't it, with the women's sport? I think it's um, there's a, mm. a sea change going on there, which I think is very healthy. Yeah, and, and like the women's Euros in football was covered on terrestrial television with BBC really doing a great job of that. Likewise, ITV have got the rights to the Women's World Cup, which starts late uh, middle of October. So England and the other home unions that have qualified, so Wales and Scotland, will fly out, I think, in the next week or two. Um, and, you know, then it goes right through October and uh, into mid-November. And England, obviously, fly as favourites. It is being played in New Zealand, never right off the uh, the All Blacks or the Silver Ferns, as they're called, the women's team. I think it's going to be a great World Cup. And with ITV having the coverage, I think we can see, hopefully, a similar effect in terms of participation numbers, crowd numbers, fan numbers, as we got from the, the Euros. So if the Red Roses can have a really good tournament and a run through to the final or even win it, then I think, you know, hopefully that'll have a really good knock-on effect for the profile of the women's game here in the UK. OK, uh, Premiership, um, I think you've got something to say about Quinn's defeat, but that's going to come up a bit later, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, just in terms of the actual result, uh, Quinn's lost 27-30, so three points at home to bitter rivals, Saracens. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about more about that later. Bo- losing bonus point when we were missing a number of our key players, I don't think is a bad result, but when we were 17-0 up after 20 minutes and 24-12 up at half time, you'd, you'd expect Quinn's to kick on. But yeah, we can talk about maybe why that happened and my thoughts around that. A bit later. Um, Rugby Championship was another interesting one with uh, Australia losing in the final minute to New Zealand with uh, Australian fans are up in arms and there's a lot of talk back and forth. Australia were winning with 20, 30 seconds to go. New Zealand with the ball and then Australia get a penalty really a couple of yards out from their own line. Um, Bernard Foley, the fly half, had been warned earlier in the game about wasting time and taking too long over a kick to touch. The referee told him to hurry things up. The referee stopped the clock and talked to him and the captain and said, as soon as the clock goes back on, you need to kick it. Foley decided to call the referee's bluff, um, and it was the referee who blinked first by blowing for a scrum to the All Blacks for time-wasting. So Foley, you can actually hear in the audio... His, even his teammates shouting at him to get a move on and kick it. He yeah. the referee. It backfired on him because from that play, New Zealand scored and won in the dying seconds. So it had been a really an incident-packed match anyway and a very good, exciting game. But yeah, very, very strange. I think it was the right call by the referee, but I've never seen that done in rugby before. So we'll see. No, I was going to say that, that can't happen too often. Yeah. And I'm sure his teammates would have one or two things to say to him in the dressing room at the end. 
I think so. Yeah, probably unprintable. I think, uh, you know, it, it, to use the name of an old Australian, uh, very bad tasting beer, probably a few four X's include. <laughs> but uh, in, in there as well. But then with that win, um, what it means is that and South Africa winning in Argentina, it means that basically all four teams mathematically are still in with a chance of winning this weekend. Uh, South Africa play Argentina again in Durban. Okay. Um, Tennis I've got next, uh, retirement of Federer, uh, and obviously following on from Serena Williams. More later on that uh, in detail. Davis Cup, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Great Britain beat Kazakhstan um, after all the hullabaloo over the selections by the uh, team captain um, and putting different players out in the uh, doubles and things like that. Then, you know, one through. Um, so, yeah, you know, a, a win there for Great Britain. And then in the uh, WTA tour, um, Brit Katie Swan made it through to the semi finals, first appearance in the semi-finals of a tour match in the Chennai Open, but unfortunately then had to uh, retire due to illness. So, but definitely an up-and-coming name, hopefully with that result, might push her into the top 150 in the world and then kick on from there. So, but again, I'm sure our guest later can can talk a bit more about what he's seen with her. Okay. Uh, cricket one-day final, uh, Kent beat Lancashire. Yeah, 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 cracking match. Um, you know, Kent seemed to, I, I think they scored 305, 306, set Lancashire's win off their 50 overs. And at one point, Kent seemed to be cruising. And then Lancashire just turned on the afterburners. I don't think it was helped by, or Kent's cause wasn't helped by the wicketkeeper. Sometimes wicketkeepers, when they chase after a ball in the field, throw off their glove, threw yeah. it to the stumps. And one of the fielders, picked up the wicketkeeper's glove, put it on and caught the ball with it, which is a penalty five runs to land. Because it's only the wicketkeeper who's allowed to wear yeah, yeah. pads. How strange. Right. Okay. So very bizarre. But thankfully for him, it didn't cost his team the cup. Um, and Darren Stevens, who I think uh, has joked about the fact that he seems to have been going on for years. I think he's 45, 46 he retired, that was his swan song, and retired going out as a, a one-day cup winner. So a great finale for him. Unfortunately, uh, 33 not out, but pulled a, pulled a groin muscle whilst batting. So only managed to bowl eight of his 10 overs before having to leave the field, struggling with an injury at the end. But uh, yeah, okay. at, at that sort of age, great to, to finish. Okay. Um T20, England, Pakistan, a number of uh, one-dayers coming up as preparations for the big cup. Yeah, yeah we've got a, um, a, a five-match five match T20 series starting tomorrow in Pakistan um, for the men's team. And then from there, they go on to a three-match series in Australia before the T20 World Cup in Australia. So, uh, yeah, definitely travelling over the next couple of months, Pakistan, Australia and then the World Cup. And then the women um, won their T20 series against India, um, dominated the first match. India really dominated the second match and England won the third match. So a 2-1 series win there with some great player, young players coming through. Okay. Uh, was yesterday and England really struggled there. India really 
dominated that. I think the experience or inexperience for England showed through. Okay, athletics. I've got a note that uh, you talked to me about, which is the the um, Avenue Mile, Fifth Avenue Mile uh, in America, and Laura mm. Muir and Jake Whiteman did well. What were their yes. times? Yeah, won it. Um, I think Jake, uh, Laura Muir's time was uh, just over four minutes, and then Jake Whiteman um, uh, beat his, I think his time was slightly slower than last year, three minutes something, uh, but basically he retained his title. So, uh, yeah, you know, interesting street uh, race, the Fifth Avenue Mile in New York. I'd not heard of it before, but uh, I watched the footage of it, and, uh, yeah, huge crowds out supporting it, and obviously – a very iconic street in New York. So, uh, yeah, a Scottish one too there. Okay, um, contacts next. Uh, Mike Butterworth says, and again, he said it last week, he's saying this week, so we're doing all right. Great episode. Andy McMenemy comes across so well, said Mike. Well, Mike, thank you again. And it's your brilliant introduction that uh, made that happen. Uh, Mike went on to say... Listening to the podcast, I was served with an advert for the first time. Is this a sign of the growing popularity of Null and Void? It was for Lynx deodorant, maybe correctly profiled to the sweaty listeners of the world's number one podcast. Bring some extra fra- fragrance, he says. <laughs> Interestingly, Mike, and I know you've listened to it back, and I said, we're not aware of that. I mean, ultimately, that could happen. It hasn't happened yet. But uh, the fact is that there is a growing popularity of the podcast. So, yes, it could happen in the future. Maybe you, dear listener, can think of other adverts that would be appropriate for Null and Void. Maybe anti-aging tablets for one of the presenters. Well, for one of the other presenters, it's a bit too late for those. (laughs) (laughs) And and before anyone else suggests it, um, I'm going to get in there first and... Yes, we've heard the joke about being sponsored by a manure company for all the. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah you know, we've heard those. Appropriate, yeah, yeah, shed loads of that. Anyway, um, what about, mate, get a grip? You were unhappy uh, about the RFU. Yes, yeah, again. yeah. You, you know me, I, I, I never have a go at the Alakadoos and Blazers in rugby. <laughs> Not much you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike me to ever, ever ever show my ire at those. But the absolute farcical decisions around the Quinn Saracens lineups on Saturday. So the after for in England international players, as part of the agreement that the clubs have with the, the RFU and the player release and things like that, they're not centrally contracted as they are in cricket but it's it's close and you know eddie jones and the rfu have a a a big hand in where where and when players play so this weekend was still within the mandatory 10 week stand down post summer tour so the players are meant to have a 10 week stand down period after the summer tour Quins and Saracens both asked for dispensation, which can be granted at the RFU and Eddie Jones's discretion um, to allow their top players to play. Last year, Quins and Saracens, two of the top four teams in the country, um, you know, in, in league positions and that local rivals. It's always a big derby. It's every game's a full house between those two. 
Three times they played each other last season, twice in the regular season and once in the playoffs. It was only the playoff game where both sides were able to put their full sides out last season because the other games had been scheduled during the international windows whilst players were off with their various teams, either for autumn internationals or for the Six Nations. That in itself is ludicrous. But put that aside, this weekend, Saracens had their full complement of England players in the side. Owen Farrell, Mako Vunapola, Maro Itoji all played. Billy Vunapola as well. Quinns, Andreas Davison was away with South Africa. Totally accept that and understand that. You know, if you're going to play pick internationals, unfortunately for us, Andre was out of the South African setup when we signed him and has played so well for Quinns. South Africa River brought him back into the fold. Danny Kerr was nursing a slight hamstring niggle. But Marcus Smith... We were told, you know, who's our key playmaker, really influential and mercurial talent at fly half, who, you know, really gets a lot of that Quinn's style of play going. Uh, Quinn's were told, no, still on stand down, part of the 10 week rest. Played too much last season, apparently. Well, when you look at the stats, Ellis Genge has been playing for the last two weeks for Bristol, played more time and more game time last season than Smith. Billy Vunapola played virtually every game for Saracens last season and all three internationals on the summer tour. There's just no consistency. I Now, I'm not saying that Smith and Estes and our other players that were stood down would have made the difference, been the difference that made the difference. You know, Saracens in the second half battered Quinns and really played well. But there's a big difference when you're sat there and having to rest players. We ended up having academy lads on the bench, whereas Saracens because they're still got the players on the books signed under previous misdemeanors, shall we say, um, and leave it at that, they're able to bring on another, a whole bench of internationals. So you look at it and it's just, it's almost like A, financial doping, but B, the RFU, if you're going to say a 10-week stand-down period, make it a 10-week stand-down period for everyone. Everyone. Start Same with dispensation. Yeah. Give dispensation for everyone. You basically tilted the playing field there against the side for, again, a sellout crowd, first home game of the season, what should have been a great game. Only three points in it. Would would Smith have made the difference? I don't know. But for me, it just sticks of, again, you know, picking and choosing and making the, making the rules up to suit Saracens. And as ever, with everything involving Saracens, just leaves another bitter taste in the mouth after another defeat by them. So... My advice to the RFU and Eddie Jones is around player availability and stand-down periods, get a grip. Yeah, and Quinn's lost. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you I what. Mean, you, really... You've also, uh, you almost had to get a grip for the RFU as well, didn't you, with the uh, the the ticket allocation? Oh, yeah, the, yeah, the membership thing. We'll, we'll maybe talk about that another time, David Walsh, but I... I loved the, uh, what was the headline that he worked under? Uh, I've lost it now. Um, 37 quid and all you get from the RFU is a kick in the ballots. A kick in the ballots, yeah, uh, from Twickenham. Yeah, I like that. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about that a bit further. I think David Walsh is being a bit disingenuous there. and uh, he, he can be. He can be. where there isn't. But, yeah, we'll, we'll come on to that at a... Uh, at a future date, because I, I happily paid that 37 quid to get a kick in the ballots. 
<laughs> yeah, be my guest. Right, now, uh, let's lift the mood. It, it's a fact that, and null and void, when anything happens in the world of tennis, we get on to Justin Cook of the JC Tennis Centre. So when Roger Federer announced last week his retirement, and that joined Serena Williams in their same retirement club, we put in a quick call to Justin to understand how that was significant in the game of tennis. Welcome to Justin. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, good. good. Well, it, it's a big moment. I mean, in all sorts of things in our lives at the moment, there's end of eras. And here's, in tennis terms, at least my understanding, and you may have a different view, probably two of the greatest ever players in tennis retiring at virtually the same time. Well, if, you think how long, if, if you think how long they've been going, Tony, it's probably an end of an epoch, not an end of an era. Yeah, that's true. But how do you feel anyway, just well, about I'm looking for a job currently. I don't say it's all gone wrong, but <laughs> I think it will impact on coaching a little bit. Uh, if I look over the years, you think that uh, Roger Federer in, I think it was 20, uh, 1997, I think he won the juniors. Um, so that's when it all sort of kicked off from him. He was a very keen ball boy when he was in... Um, in his home country and uh, would do anything to apparently get on the court. So it was always going to be his ambition. I think he was a double-hander before uh, as a junior. He also had apparently, and I can't say for sure, a very bad temper as a junior. Mm. But with Federer, like everything, he's got a fantastic sort of PR team and fantastic people coaching him. And they knew how to nurture who uh, the skills that the guy had because he really is the most gifted and talented player with all the shots there's ever been. Um, we you can't really compare him to a Nadal, who I think it's down to huge hard work. Um, they are very different players. If you're going to do uh, coaching, you want to teach a, a young player how to how to play tennis. I think you would go through and try and get them to play like Federer. I would only put one thing in there um, that I would change. And through sports science, etc., um, we're now when we coach and they're sort of under 12 years old, you're going to coach double-handed backhand so that they don't damage growth plates in the shoulders and put unnecessary strain. Um, that's how I've been coaching for a long while. And then when a player says to me, do you know, I want to try single-handed, we let them have a go. Of course, you know, they make their decisions when they're physically strong enough. So that's a little bit on Federer. Uh, eight Wimbledons he won. I think yeah. he played in... I don't know if it's, it's around 12 finals, I think. I think that's what he played in. So he was going to win, mo win most of them. He won five back-to-back -back titles, I think, from 2003. I mean, the pedigree is unbelievable. Mm. He won the French Open once. So he managed to get, his, uh, get all the slams in the end. I think he either got five or six at Australia, or five or six at uh, US Open, so a total of 20. You can just talk forever on what his achieve achievements are. 
Um, I don't know whether he rang up Serena and said, look, should we do it now? Because it was within a few days of each other. <laughs> and uh, when it comes to Serena, I spoke to my daughter earlier about Serena. I uh, thought, oh, I'll get a bit of insight from her, what she thinks about how she played. And she said, God, I'm going to miss Serena. Her fashion is fantastic. <laughs> he said, did you, Dad, look at the US Open and the women's fashions? Uh, well, without sounding too weird, yeah, I suppose I did have a look at what they were wearing, and I thought it was not very good. I'll be honest, I see better fashions. So, so I said that to Libby, and she said, it's true. Uh, with one exception, Serena Williams came on apparently with a cape, glittery sort of cape, uh, and put that down and played her opening match and got a win out of it, which is what the crowds wanted to see. I think she won two rounds, actually. Mm. So, you know... When we, it, if, if we rewind, uh, Justin, yeah. you've also got, I mean, Federer turning up in his own... Oh. Jacket at Wimbledon. So, if you're looking at the fashion states, both of them have made some pretty bold statements. Mm. They have. And I think, look, sometimes you earn the right, don't <laughs> you? So, uh, you know, whether I would wear what Federal was wearing, no, I don't think I would. But I remember watching him with that jacket and it had, uh, so I don't know what year this was, uh, 2000. And, seven or eight, it was the last year actually Tim Hemman played Wimbledon and he came on to, into the arena and he was warming up. He had a white tracksuit on. I'm not keen on white, but it works. Wimbledon, that's, you've got to stick with tradition. And he unzipped this tracksuit from top to bottom and they kind of fell off. It was unbelievable. So even he had his fashion moment and he had that jacket on. Uh, again, I wasn't that keen, but actually I do have a, a fairly light-coloured jacket that I think my wife would divorce me if I wore it again uh, at home. So, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm not yeah. just trying to pretend I'm one of the greats. So what, for, in terms of uh, memories, have you said, you know, with Federer, what's the, the lasting memory that comes back to you about him? Would it be a particular match or an event? Or, what would it be? Well, I couldn't say a particular match. I saw him play Martin Lee. If you know of Martin Lee, he got to number 98 in the world and he's, he's an English uh, player that's now a coach. And I just happened to be on that court and watch that one as well. So that for me was a nice memory of a British player really doing well. Although he lost in straight sets, Martin Lee, who's a left-hander, played really well. But if you want to look at what Federer has brought to tennis... You hear any kid on court when they hit this, they're double-handers, okay, but they, they're going to let go and have a go. And they say, did you see that? It was like Federer. The first thing that comes out of, of their mouth will be that. They won't be saying, did you see that? It was Richard Gasquet. Now, Richard Gasquet apparently has the, one of the best backhands in the world. And I've, uh, I've always been one sitting on the bench saying, yeah, quite good. I don't like it. I've seen better. Federer, it was just perfection. He would watch the ball and a bit like a golfer swing as he made contact on the ball, the arm would go and then the head would follow. Because if this movement happens where the arm goes and you follow it, ball goes up. Same with the golfer. So he put every bit of sports, science and anything he could put uh, together to uh, create the perfect shots. 
I mean, he won the end of tour final six times. I'm sure some of those matches were good. I saw one, I saw him beat Nadal uh, in three sets. Nadal ran out of steam. It was the end of the season. Uh, it's around November time. And Nadal had been winning a lot of things, but had run out of fuel, basically. And I watched Federer, and I can, I can safely say I have seen him win something worth winning. But he's won all over the world. I think he has 102 titles. Uh, it's impossible for me to say which one's the <laughs> one I like. But, it, but the, the facts on him are amazing, really. When you look at the number of consecutive weeks, for instance, he was world ranked as world number one. You know, right. incredible numbers. Uh, it was over uh, 200, uh, I think, wasn't it? But I can't remember. 237, it says in my facts. And world number one, 177 weeks longer than Jimmy Connors. When people say, oh, you're talking about Federer, what about Jimmy Connors? You know, just to put it in some sort of context, that's amazing, isn't it? It is. I, in fact, Jimmy Connors did a bit of coaching with him at some point. Oh. A bit. It's very, it was, you know, it's not like, um, it, it, I think it was quite a short time and I, I can't put my finger on when it was, but it was people like Anna Cohn and Eggberg that were the, the ones that he liked, especially I think like Eggberg because, because uh, I think he came across a very intelligent man that would come out with a specific having been there himself. And I think that really helped him. So he's always had a great team. But his main driving force uh, was his wife. I think she's she was a player herself. They met, I think, on tour. And they've been together. He hasn't been... Uh, his eyes haven't been swinging to the uh, beautiful lady, should we say. He's always stayed with his wife and stayed focused on his career. So I think that's made a big difference to... People, let's say, like very talented players like Mark Philippoussis years ago, he couldn't just uh, keep on the t uh, tennis circuit. You know, he was thinking of other things, shall we say. So uh, focus was amazing. Yeah, and I think I, I kind of, you, you, I, I was wondering who it was that, that has helped him so much because, you know, I heard somebody saying over the weekend that it, he did have in the early days, he was a bit sort of wobbly and getting a bit carried away with himself. Um, but clearly, either through good advice or a combination of his own good sense, his record after that time has been virtually seamless. There's virtually no time you would be saying, did you hear what Fedra said? People yeah. don't say that about him because he says the right things at the right time in the right way. You know, very, very good PR, in my opinion. I, I think it's perfect what he does he tends to know what to say when the awkward question comes he can turn it into humor which is yeah rather than go on the offensive uh and you know come out with something you don't need to hear he just gets on and says it says it uh how he feels it should be said i've never heard him say anything and i mean you know i can relate to uh a lot of players that would say different things be quite annoyed when they come off court. Maybe a, a Djokovic for argument's sake, who I don't yeah. think says all the right things, actually. Yeah, as yeah. you know, I mean, I do do talk about that a bit. Um, but you it's, know, it's, it's, sorry, it's yeah, a real, a real skill, isn't it? You know, a real skill over the, over the years. I mean, 
Serena's interesting, and we are com- not comparing the two, but where the two things are happening sim- almost simultaneously. She has an, an amazing record, uh, you know, 73 singles yeah. titles. And I thought, I wonder how many her sister got, just as a comparison. Apparently that figure was 43. So mm-hmm. she is massively more successful than her sister, to put it in some sort of context there. And, so, and yet when you think the first couple of years of her career, she was probably more in Venus's shadow. And yeah. You know, yeah. then you look at the, the longevity and the success she's had once her career really came into it, it sort of, uh, she fulfilled her potential. I think, you know, very, very, very dominant in the, in the women's. Again, you know, what are your, like Tony asked you with your standout memories of uh, Federer, Justin, what are your standout memories of Serena Williams and either games or tournaments or style? Well, I mean, when I, when I look back, she, uh, when she used to play her sister a lot, the first couple of meetings at Grand Slams, uh, her older sister was winning them. And then I think it, it just goes on, um, goes on from about 2004. She beats her sister every time but once in any major competition. Serena uh, had cherry-picked matches for maybe the last 10 years, which is why she had that longevity of carrying on and managing to play. So she was playing fewer tournaments. That's why you see the figure of 73 titles. I think if she'd done the smaller titles, she would have probably got another 15 plus titles, but she might have had one or two less Grand Slams, 23 Mm. Grand Slams, I think it is. Um, Outstanding matches, it's so difficult to say. I've seen her do shots where you think she's under the cosh here and she'll almost be sitting down and she just hits through with a forehand or a backhand, ripping the ball like you cannot believe. And I've noticed now, a lot of the better, stronger girls on the tour are trying to do the same thing, where they get so much huge knee bend on the ball that they, the ball goes, as long as you keep it in, it's going to go 90 miles an hour as a winner. Um, she, was, she was strong. I think she had plenty of injury problems. That's another thing with, uh, with her. Unlike Federer, who wasn't injured until three knee operations, over the, you know, it's only when you got to, like, 37 that his body said, actually, mate, you were in a few few uh, problems there. I think Serena Williams had had problems from about 26, 28, and then cherry-picked. So, yeah, quite interesting. Best matches? I've just seen so many. I, th- I think when she won the French Open, that, for her, must have been one of her biggest successes because it was the one that she was really struggling on. Uh, trying to move on that, those courts, she found it a lot more difficult. So I, I'd imagine that would be her her favourite one, but not very difficult to say. I've seen her play and win at Wimbledon in the final in less than an hour, and you think, hold on a sec, they've done a warm up, and this match is over. So, <laughs> you know, she could blast people off the course, mm. uh, the court. And then when when I speak to junior players about their favourite player. At the moment, it's Arana Kano, who is sort of up there, number 73 in the world, by the way. Um, they're, they're sort of quite like her, but they're starting to now uh, understand that maybe Arana Kano's already run her race, because that's what I feel. 
And I, as I've told you, maybe it, over mm. the last nine months, that's what I felt. But most of the girls say, oh, yeah, I saw Serena Williams. And um, they do talk about fashion, though. They really do. <laughs> Slightly different. Well, do you think, though, given the timing, do you think it is the right time for them both yeah. to stop? Yeah. I think Federer tried to stick out as long as he could. But with Serena, I think she's realised that, you know, she can't hit the form that she was hitting. Of course, you see games you might see back-to-back games where you think well she's on you know invincible yeah. but unless you are playing at that level quite regularly and you're injury free um you're not going to you're not going to last you know it's as simple as that i mean arada Kanu beat her um where was that yeah. it was the us was it no yeah. at cincinnati cincinnati, cincinnati. cincinnati. Yeah. quite right yeah he went on be uh azarenka both were ex-world number ones that can't that, that couldn't play at the level and when serena serena came back to to play at the us i thought this is going to be short-lived but she managed her wins and i think for the crowd and for her it was a really good thing but it does make me wonder why they don't decide why don't we do a couple of years on the double circuit and enjoy it because i think people would love to see them yeah, I mean, apparently, even with Federer, who's saying his final games with the late will be the Labour Cup. Uh, apparently, they're now saying no. not even sure he's even going to play no. it because of his state of health and injuries. So <laughs> it 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 seemed to me anyway, just reading between the lines on both of them, that yeah, the, the, the time had come. They've nothing to prove. They could. You're quite right, and definitely there'll be an exhibition games and so on. But you're quite right there from the singles point of view, which is their dominant thing, they're saying, let's draw a line in the sand. And I, I can understand that. Quit at the top in a way. I agree. I think I think uh, maybe both of them tried to prolong it a little bit. I think the last Wimbledon 2017 would have been Federer. I think that would have been a really good time for him to say, do you know what? I'm a, I'm yeah, sort of end of, yeah. Kind of, he yeah. carried on. I don't think he won... I don't even know if he won a tour final after that time. It'd be quite interesting fact to know, but you know maybe that was the time. But look, it's easy in hindsight to go and uh, go and give a a view on that situation. But I think with Serena, you could see really from whenever she came back, she got very upset in the final of the US when she. I, I think she was given a heavy fine because she was getting all upset. Um, in the final, because I think she just couldn't get to uh, to the level she'd been at, and maybe maybe they maybe they should have done it a little bit earlier. But they've been so good for the sport, not very good for Andy Murray because he would have had a handful more Grand Slams if it wasn't for that guy. When you see who beats yes. the finals, yeah. I, I guess he's another one that maybe is now sort of fighting yeah. to find that form from yesteryear you know again as you said Justin can can pull out good games but yeah. Grand Slam tournament is so intense you know you've got win it. seven big games across what 14 days you know mm-hmm. it's not that recovery time that he has to win them all to need all, at that all, stage easily otherwise you can't do it it's the, those matches when you when you see the time that Murray's on a court in his prime. He's not on for three hours. It's three and a half to four, four and a half hours to win yeah. a match. Then you know, he's going through 
playing another three or four matches. And if you if you saw Murray at Cincinnati, I don't know if you saw it when he um, he, he lost his match and he got such bad cramp he couldn't just could not move. That yeah. was against Norrie. He was the better player. I watched the whole thing. I haven't watched that many full matches. And watching that, Murray was the better player on the day by quite a way. He was something like five one up in that. Five one up. Anyway, I think he was leading well in the final set, and then his body gave up. So yeah, I think these players do need to look at maybe maybe he can change his career to playing doubles because we would love it. We're a doubles nation. Look at what we've done the last two Grand Slams. Maybe. So I, I said to you guys, I thought we would actually do well at the US Open. The, have, the have, a, have a word. Have a word. Just, listen, just in terms of up-to-date stuff with your good yeah. self, how are things with the business and the centre? You working well? Yeah, everything's very good. Um, we've got... This is usually a busy part of the year for us. Up until we go away, we take some players to Port Adventure at the end of the year. So... Yeah, we are busy, always looking for a bit more, of course. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but we, we're doing well. Uh, Reading Blue Coat School, we seem to be uh, have the best numbers we've had in about six or seven years there, which is quite good. Um, and the other venues that we've got, we've filled the majority of places that we can. So, are you yeah. still outdoors at the minute, Justin, or now with the, the darker nights and the cooler evenings, are you moving indoors or? We do a bit of indoor stuff, but it's mainly outdoor, to be honest. So uh, I've got little venues that we, we do get a bit of indoor stuff, but it, uh, it's weekends outside and I have to go through some quite nasty weather. So I've been glad there's been a little bit of sunshine this year, to be honest. <laughs> well, Justin, in case of somebody thinking I would like my kids to, to get involved, uh, how do they best get hold of you? You told us before, but tell us again, mate. So, JC Tennis website, you can go on there. You can email me at justincooktennis at live.co.uk. Um, my phone number, I don't mind getting calls, is 07788 uh, I don't always get to the phone immediately, but I will come back to people. Yeah, good, good man, Justin. Well, thank you very much for that insight. And it is sort of, well, Andy said end of an epoch, but definitely end of a, a very big era uh, yeah. of, of many people's lives in, in understanding and knowing anything about tennis. You would point to those two players. And I think it's a very special moment and you've captured it beautifully for us tonight. Really appreciate your time again. That's a pleasure. Thanks so, so much, Justin. OK, see you back. See you later. Bye, Bob. Yeah, well, again, always with Justin, you get the detail, the insight and the real love of the game of tennis, which comes screaming through and everything he says. So, uh, but it, it is a special time and, you know, you need to get a special authority in uh, to come and tell you. And Justin's always the man. Brilliant. Definitely. And, and you know, be interesting to see now which players sort of almost pick up the baton and become the the figureheads for the sport in both men's and women's tennis over the next couple of years and start wearing capes and monogram jackets. <laughs> yeah, exciting, exciting times ahead. Uh, now, that brings us toward the end 
uh, of uh, episode 70. Amazing, we got to 70 um, <laughs> of, of Null and Void. And we really do appreciate with all the other stuff that's going on that you're with us tonight and actually you're with us at a similar time and a place next week. We do appreciate your input. Thank you very much for that loyalty. And we'll speak to you very soon. See you later. Thanks ever so much, folks. Take care. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on nandv at forthenow.co.uk. 